This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Well, we're in 1 John, and we'll uh, plan to, to pick that up here uh, as, we, as we round through the holidays uh, and finish the rest of the book. But let me, let me pick up where we left off last week, which is in chapter 1. Uh, I'm actually going to read verse 5, and then I'm going to jump down to verse 8 through 10. And the reason I'm doing that, if you weren't here last week, is verse 5 is kind of the headline uh, subject of the, this section, of this little passage. And so it, it, it kind of, it, it kind of it's, it's significant to the, to the, to the context. So I want to remind you of that, and then we're going to pick up where I left off last week in verse 8. So 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, and then picking up in verse 8 through 10. The Apostle, Paul, uh, the Apostle John writes this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the living God. Let's pray and ask him to bless uh, the preaching of it this morning. Let's pray together. Father, I stand up here feeling entirely um, ill-equipped. Lord, it's been, it's been things going on in our home, you know that, with Jaden having a hard weekend and... Uh, Lord, with Irma's unexpected appearance up front here, I'm a little, I'm a little disrupted there. And Lord, also this passage, Lord, it's been, um, it's been challenging for me to perceive uh, what you would have for us in it. So, Lord, I, I, I need your help, and your hearers this morning need your help. Uh, we need you to actively and powerfully uh, to to come this morning. Uh, we, we have not gathered here primarily um, to, to catch up with each other or to eat lunch together. Uh, Lord, we've, we've come to be with you, and we've come to hear from you. And so, Lord, we're expectant, and we are hopeful uh, that, that, would, that, that, would be, uh, that that would be our reality this morning. So, Lord, help us now. Uh, meet with us. Speak to us through your word. Open our hearts, and uh, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I mentioned a uh, podcast series, I've mentioned it maybe a couple times up front, that's been going on for a number of months now. Uh, it's, it's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Church. Some of you are listening to that, I, I know that. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, uh, this is a, a series of podcasts that's been produced by Christianity Today. It's like 20 plus hours. It's a, it's a, it's a very, very big project. And it's, it's, uh, it's about uh, the, the rising and falling of a large church in Seattle. It's called Mars Hill. And, um, and it came to a conclusion. I was able to finish all the, all the, all the hours of audio. And the, the final episode was called Aftermath. And it was, it was probably my favorite episode. It, the, the, you know, the content producer just did a really good job, like, 
tying together all the threads that he had pulled and, and kind of was able to like um, depict both the beauty of what happened at Mars Hill Church paired with just the, the despair and the brokenness of it. And in this final episode, uh, they interviewed a guy, his name's David Zoll. And David Zoll, he's got this ministry, that they publish books, it's called Mockingbird. And he wrote an article, he was in this last episode, David Zoll was, but he wrote an article of, of his kind of, his summary of this podcast series. And I, I wanted to read a, a, just a, one little section from it for you this morning, because I, I, I thought he really, he really put something together here. Um, the, the name of the article, in case you want to read the whole thing, is Six Reflections After Mars Hill. And so the one I'm going to read you is just like the fourth little reflection. And just just follow along. It's real brief, just a paragraph. And here's, you know, there's a a number of ways you can look at what happens when a a church grows and and a leader kind of goes astray and the church falls apart and all that stuff. Um, And so, you know, I think one of the common things was people that listened to this said that this is what happens when narcissism, like when when a narcissistic type leader gets a hold of something like this. Um, but but his spin on it was different, and his his spin on it was that that this was like more of a cautionary tale of what happens when Christians confuse the law with the gospel. And I found it really insightful. Let me just let me just give you his words, and then I'll I'll kind of string it together with this passage. Uh, David Zoll says this. He says that the distinction between the law and the gospel cannot be understated. When these things get confused. Religion invariably reduces to some form of the law or gospel. And law divorced from gospel devastates. Full stop. The liberal end of this can produce anxiety. Am I doing enough? But the conservative end, because it ties obedience to eternal destinations, will wreck people. And that wreckage is not theoretical. Nor is it confined to ivory tower squabbling. It looks like estrangement, unemployment, divorce, panic attacks, nihilism, and self-harm. And what David Zoll is doing in that statement is he is drawing out the implications of what happens in believers' lives when there is a confusion or an overlapping of the law, and by the law, that is some form of performing duty to be right with God and the gospel, namely the good news of what Christ has come to perform the duties to be right with God that you could not do for yourself. And so, um, you know, in the, in the rest of that article, and I, I don't intend to read more of it, what, what, he, what he comes at the conclusion of is this is what happens to Christians. Uh, we, 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 we fall into one of two ditches. Uh, ditch number one is we have what, what Zoll would call t- a high anthropology. It's a really big word to say we think too highly of ourselves or we have what I'll call a low anthropology, and what kind of the the participants in this Mars Hill church uh, summed up in this statement, you suck, do better. So those are like the two ditches that we, that on any given day can fall into, right? Too high of a view of ourselves, 
or too low of a view of ourselves. And what I think is happening in, in, in this little section of, of John's writing, um, and if you were here last week, you'll know this, is he's addressing some very specific things that were happening in this early church. And those specific things are highlighted by his language of, if we say. So last week we looked at verse 6, which was, uh, let me read it again, if we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness. Okay, so that was kind of the first thing he addresses. The, the, the other two I want to address today, and uh, they're, they're this. If we say we have no sin, and if we say we have not sinned. And those are very subtle but in very significant distinctions. And here's my take. This is kind of, if, if you were listening to my opening prayer, like I was really struggling with this passage because I began to assess, you know, like does anyone really say they have no sin? Like I, I've yet to, to meet the person who's making, you know, claims of perfection. You know, no, nobody's really doing that. And then the other one, you know, if we say we have not sinned, like, you know, at the surface level, the, the translation of that is like, again, none of us are saying we're not sinners. So, so who's this really talking to? And here's, here's what you have to do. You have to kind of, and I'm not a car guy, but you, but you got to lift the hood up, right? And you've got to kind of see what's going on underneath those statements, like what was going on in this early church. And here's Here's my, you know, here's my diagnostics of what I think John's addressing and what I think he might be addressing in, in our lives. Uh, when, when we say we have no sin, uh, what we're doing is um, we're basically, uh, we have this, this irreligious view, uh, meaning um, I'm not that bad of a person. Okay? So you, you might not say I'm not, you know, I'm perfect, but, but what you're essentially saying is that I'm trusting in my performance, that I'm trusting that I'm at least, I'm just good enough. Um, and on the other hand, when we say we haven't sinned, uh, we kind of, you know, this is the you suck, do better thing, right? Like, again, the, the engine that's running it is like, at the end of the day, I've got to do something to pull myself out of the trench. And so, you know, he's... And, and, and John tells us what happens when we fall into these ditches. The first thing happens is we deceive ourselves, right? We tell ourselves we're better than we actually are. The second thing is we sabotage ourselves in that we undermine what God, who God is saying he is. Because, you know, the first one was if we say we have no sin, right? If we say we have no sin, then the truth is not in us and we deceive ourselves. Or if we say we have not sinned, well, then we make God a liar, right? And so we're sabotaging the very means of rescue. So here's the, the main thing I want you to feel as we walk away from this text today. And it's not even my own words. Um, it's the words of a man named Jack Miller. Some of you are familiar with his writings and his teachings. I highly commend those to your reading. Here's, here's the assessment that Jack Miller makes of the good news about Christianity. And may, maybe you're here today, you know, particularly in this time of year, I, I know there's always people trafficking in Christianity that maybe normally wouldn't. So maybe you're here today in like very little affinity with the Christian faith, but for whatever reason you're here, um, this, is, this is the good news of Christianity. And, and here's how Jack Miller sums it up. Cheer up. 
you're far worse than you ever even knew, and you're far more loved than you ever even hoped. You're far worse than you even realize, and simultaneously, you're more loved than you can ever even imagine. Um, here's, we're going to look at two things this morning in this passage. We're going to look at the truth about us, and then we're going to look about, uh, at the truth about God. So let's, let's look at the, what, is, what is going on in these, these two verses. Verse 8 and verse 10 we're primarily going to look at here. And, and just reminder, because this is easy, easy to escape us, this is written, and, and, we, and I believe it was originally a, a verbal sermon, but this was written to believers, uh, this, this is to Christians. So, you know, it would be one thing if you were going to say, like, I'm going to write to non-Christians about their sin, right? But th- this is to believers, and, and that's important. Um, because here, the, again, just to reiterate them, these are the two gospel-denying, fundamentally flawed errors that were happening and I think happens with you. Look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So self-deception comes from trusting our own performance. Um, The second one, right? Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. So what we're doing there is we're sabotaging ourselves by, by downplaying sin. Right? It, sin becomes kind of passe. It becomes kind of irrelevant. It becomes cliche. Right? And so what we're doing is we're sabotaging the fact that God has said you need a savior. Let me, let me just unpack each of those just briefly. So this, this idea of being self-deceived. There's a passage in the New Testament in the book of James that uses similar language. It's found in James uh, chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, if you want to read the whole thing into context. But essentially, James says this. Here's what, it, here's what it's like to be deceived, to be deceived by yourself. It's like a man who goes into a mirror and looks at himself, right? He sees himself as he really is, and then he walks away, and he forgets what he was like. That, 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 is, that is the heart of what it means to be self-deceived, is to think better of yourself. It's to forget what you're actually like. And, you know, w- one, of the, one of the baseline things that, that John is doing in chapter one is getting us to come to, to grips with our reality. It's the language of truth. W- what... You know, what John is, is inviting believers to do is to see yourself as you really are. And um, because here's, here's what happens if, if you say you have no sin. If you deceive yourself into thinking you're better than you actually are, what happens is one of two things. One is if, if you're, like, hitting your stride, right? Like, I feel like early on in the pandemic... You know, three weeks in, some people were like, yes, we need this pandemic, right? Like, this is great. I can finally hone in on all those hobbies and make sourdough bread and, like, get my alone time, right? Like, like I feel like, like when you're in that spot, right, like when, when things are clicking, like you're hitting on all cylinders, spiritually speaking, here's what happens. You become arrogant. 
and arrogance um, has this aroma, aroma of self-righteousness, right? So, so like when you're, when, you're, when you're really hitting it well, that's what it produces. Or, uh, you know, swing the pendulum the other direction when things are not going so well, when the pandemic stretches beyond the three weeks in which you were capable of handling on your own, right? What happens is, is despair comes, right? This crushing weight of am I doing enough? And so you get on this, you know, this, this clumsy walk with the treadmill, right? The treadmill of religion where you're just spinning. Am I doing enough? And so that, you know, that, you know, that's what relying on performance does. And you deceive yourself. It's self-deception when you look inside and say, I think I can do it. It's a form of looking at the mirror knowing what you're really like, knowing you're totally incapable of it, and then walking away and forgetting that information. The second thing that John's addressing is this, this downplaying of sin, right? When we say we, we have not sinned, um, it's, it's this, this concept that, like, let's just take, we'll just take Jesus as a person, right? We're singing about him. These are familiar hymns. We're, we're comfortable with with the birth narrative and, and some of that, um, and maybe, you know, again, entertaining the idea that there's someone here, maybe who's not a professing follower of Jesus, but, like, you'll, you'll mildly entertain the idea of, like, Jesus was a good guy. Like, there's no animosity or hostility, like, you know, deeply embedded in you. Like, he's fine. But when you traffic into the lane of, like, Christ as Savior, right, like, he's the thing that can... He's the only thing that can rescue you from your despair. That's when things begin to feel a little more uncomfortable, right? And so here's, here's where you know, and, and the, I think this is probably what was happening on in the, in the early local church, was the gospel um, was more comfortable being advice for how to live a good life than news for, for deliverance. So, like, when, when, when Christianity becomes more advice-driven, right, it's kind of like, it's like, you know, Jesus would be a, a great life coach, right? Like, I mean, if we just want to modernize it, right? Like, he can help you self-actualize and discover things, and he can kind of, you know, be your guru and guide in the spiritual realm. Like, like that feels, you know, safe, um, comfortable, but, but when he comes over into this kind of this kingship, deliverer, rescuer, uh, substitutionary death on a cross for your sin type of person, that's when things get a little bit more abrasive. Because here's what happens. If, 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 Jesus, if Jesus was just like a, a wise man with good advice, um, you can take it or leave it. Right? Like it... It can come and go into your life as you need it. You know, take what's good, leave what's bad. Like that, that, that feels manageable. But when you, when you traffic into the lane of Christ is the redeemer, right? He's the salvation offered to the world. He's, he's the way, the truth, and the life. All of a sudden, all of a sudden that requires a different level of, of relinquishment, right? Like surrender, so Jesus, you know, life coach, Jesus the redeemer of the world, 
And what happens is we deceive ourselves, we sabotage ourselves by either thinking too highly of ourselves or kind of downplaying who we actually are. We're disconnected from our reality. We're not living in alignment with what is true about us. Um, so that's the truth about us. I think that's what was going on with the early church. But what about the truth about God? Um, I, wanna, I want you to scroll your eyes back up to that verse 5. Um, because again, this is, this is the, the running theme that John gives. And we you know, can't recap last week, but last week, here's what we discovered. God is light and there's no darkness in him, none at all. And by that we mean... God is the one who exposes the truth of our reality. God only, he only exists in reality, right? He's, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll entertain, you know, the fabric of your imagination and kind of the life you, you think you're living, but where God really is in what's really going on in your life. And here's, here's you know, that can feel really pressing, and feel like kind of unsafe, right? That's kind of a common thing in our world, like where's a safe place to take this kind of information? But the, the back end of that verse five is, is, is the hope, right? That, that yeah, God's light. He'll only dwell in what is truly going on in your life, um, but there's no darkness in him, none at all. It's the double negative. There is absolutely no darkness. There's no shadow of turning. There's no two-facedness. There's no deception. There's no false motive. There's no mixed motive. God is, God is light, and there's no darkness in him at all. So, so if that's true, then, then this, you know, verse 9 is, is kind of the, the meat of the sandwich in between our two problems, right? Verse 9 tells us, here's, here's what to do about your problem confess your sins. And, you know, I don't know how that lands on you. Um, to me, it can sound like this. Well, you know, maybe, maybe it's what we do here on Sunday mornings, right? Okay, that, yeah, we've got that three to five minute slot where, you know, we get 30 seconds to kind of privatize and individualize and, and all that's, that's good. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not undermining what we do corporately. That, that's an important component of our worship, um, or, or maybe it can just feel like this, maybe just kind of outside of Sunday, like confess your sin, just like get things off your chest, right? Like the, you know, just the verbal rant, like I've just got to, I've just got to verbalize this with somebody or, you know, just talk to God about this. Well, I, I dug into this a little bit more, and I don't know if I understand it more or less after digging, um, but, but here's, here's what the word means. I mean, you know, Greek's a pretty basic language. It's a two-part word, and it, and it basically breaks down to this, same words. So what the, what the text says is if we use same words about our sin, and I'm like, what does that even mean? And here's, here's my assessment of what I think God is saying. I want your words to be the same as mine. I want there to be a harmony and an integrity to your reality. And, and you know, I don't know, that, it's, that coming out of my mouth kind of sounded new agey. But, like, I, I think, you know, I try to use fresh language. It, let me, here's an example. I didn't know if I was going to use it, but I'm going to use it. Um, Ted Lasso, I've told you about the show too many times. I know you're all overdone, but I, I see things in all the things. So, 
There was an, there was an episode, I think it's episode two, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, season two, episode eight, I don't know. Basically, there's two main characters, there's several main characters, but uh, there's the owner of the soccer club, her name's Rebecca, uh, there's the coach of the soccer team, his name's Ted Lasso. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm sorry, I just do this, but if, if you're not watching Ted Lasso, are you even living right now? I don't know. And there's this great scene, and, and just great writing. It's a really, really well, well done show. And, you know, we're in season two with these characters, and so we're beginning to kind of discover some of their interior life and their story and their trauma and what happened to them. And there's this scene uh, where Rebecca um, is grieving to, at her father's funeral to her mother, and Ted is grieving or confessing, I'll use that language, Ted is confessing to his therapist about the death of his father, uh, which was a death by suicide. And, and so they're, they're both, they're, the, the way the scene's done, I'm going to do my best to show it, but they're like simultaneously confessing and using the same words. So apparently um, the event that Rebecca is grieving, namely her adulterous father, the, the, the day she walked in on her father with another woman, was the same day uh, that, that Ted's father committed uh, death by suicide. And so that the way the, the, you know, the, the authors, the, the writers the, produced this scene was it was overlapped. And they were sharing language. And, and, the, and the, the, the confession part of it wasn't just them grieving what happened to them, though that was a big part of it. What they were grieving was what that brought out of them. Namely, Rebecca's inability to be vulnerable in relationship, right? So she is angry and unable to be in relationship. And, and Ted, his inability to gravitate beyond this unreal optimism and his pull towards drinking, right? So he, they, they just, again, I don't know if I explained it well, but this, this overlap of same words. And what, what I think God, the God of the Bible does this. He says, listen, I want you to have the same words that I have about you. I want you to dwell in, in harmony with me, in integrity with me, in honesty with me. Like, so long as you want to just traffic in the life you thought you were building, so be it. But God is saying, you know, God is saying, listen, if you will confess your sins... More than just, this isn't getting things off your chest so that you'll have a, a relieved conscience. God is saying, if you'll come into harmony and integrity with your reality, with me, well, then what will happen? Finish the verse. God's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, again, I, I'm always speaking to an audience who I think has over traffic this language, right? Like some of you have been around Christianity and the Bible and the church longer than I've even been alive. And you hear that and you gloss over it. You hear, okay, I'll confess, I'll be honest about what's going on and then God will just forgive me and cleanse me and I'll be good. But, but let me just offer some alternative language um, to be forgiven and cleansed is for God to release, to, to like let go, to entirely pardon all your unrighteousness, 
all of your, what the Bible calls sinfulness, has been relieved. And, and not only has it been forgiven, but, but John adds that second word, it's been cleansed. And, and cleansing isn't just God's giving you a second chance. That, you know, we could preach a whole other sermon on that one. But, but the cleansing isn't just so you can do better next time. You know, the cleansing in the Bible is, is the cleansing of, of healing. So, so water, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a symbol, it's a, it's a sign, it's a means of God healing. He's not, you know, the more I'm around the God of the Bible, he's not just interested in soothing our deepest fears about his judgment. And I wonder if that's just how you feel about him. See, the God of the Bible is after getting in, um, getting into your, you know, that, that hidden portal. I watched, we're going to talk about Spider-Man in a minute. But like that's, that hidden portal that the, that the Bible calls your soul. You know, that, that thing that we have such a hard time understanding. See, the God of the Bible is interested in that. He's forming that. He's, he's interested in who you're becoming. Not just so you're just not afraid of him anymore. See, see Advent, um, I, I want to connect this to the season. Advent is God coming to us. And God coming to us is disruptive. God oftentimes comes to us in interruptions in this disruptiveness to our lives, that, that, that frequently is where God is present. So, you know, the question of Advent that we ought to be asking ourselves, and I kind of I provoked this question at the beginning of the series, was where are you? Because I think the God of the Bible is deeply interested in where you're at right now. And... Um, he, you know, he makes, he makes big promises, and one of the big promises that's hidden in this passage is that if, if you'll come to him as you are, I'll use that language, if you'll come to him like in your reality, like with what's really going on, um, he promises this, you won't leave the same. And that, and that friends, is, is not like a Bible band-aid that he's going to fix all your problems. But, but what it is, and, and there's no one else like this but the God of the Bible, what it is is a promise that I will go to the places that you have a resistance to go. And I might not fix it, and I might not resolve it, but I will be right there with you in it. Let me close with this. Um, <laughs> if you were here last week, you'll know I referenced The Matrix which has buzzed all the viral views on our church website. I'm just kidding. Nobody's, nobody cares. Um, and so I, 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 you know, I'm not a monster, and I, I don't share, like, movie clips or, you know, you know, plot lines unless they're, like, 20 years old. But I just, Spider-Man came out, and I took, we took our kids to see it this weekend, and it, I mean, I could go, we could do, we could do a whole sermon again. We, we're not that church. We don't really do sermon series on movies. 
Um, and I'm not even going to, I'm not a monster. I'm not going to spoil it or anything. But if you're a Marvel fan, which again, I don't know who is, we won't do the, the, the audience poll today. But if you've watched any Marvel movies, um, you'll know um, that there's always the, the secret scene. And I was so, I was so sad. Um, I forgot that last night. Um, when we went to the movie, you know, got the kids, got to get all the trash together, brush all the popcorn off, right? You know, gather up all the, we bring blankets now. We gather up all the blankets. Um, you know, it's like a whole ordeal. And I, like after like three minutes of gathering, I'm, I'm looking up and like, we're the only ones up. I'm like, oh, what have we done? So we were committed at that point. I'm like, usher out, guys. We're going. And so we ushered out, but we watched the, the secret scene in the hall. Uh, you know, because you got to see the secret scene. And he, here's, I'm, I'm not going to tell you the fullness of the secret scene, but here's what the secret scene does for Marvel fans. Um, it, it draws out um, what's ahead in a way that, that makes you want more, right? It, it gives you that, just that taste you need to just anticipate the next release. And um, all I'm going to say about this one is, is Venom. So I'm just throwing it out there. I'm sorry. I did one little spoiler. That's not monstrous, is it? Um, but here's, here's what I think we might need today. I think we, not, we, we need the secret scene. Um, because, you know, as casual as I am about, you know, talking about the pandemic and its effects, like we're... We're in really dark, hard, challenging times. Like some of you are here, you know, without a care in the world, living your best life. But others of you are here and you're, you're hanging by a thread. Like, like your marriage is thin. Your children are suffering. And like here's, you know, this is the thing that will help you move forward in what John's inviting you to. Namely to, to traffic in your truth. To, to live in your reality, and it's the future. And I want to, here's what I want to do. I don't think I have the words up. Let's kind of put this together at the end, but I want to read some closing verses from the book of Revelation. And I just, wanna, I just want it to wash on you. I just want you to feel what Advent is about. I want you to, I want you to have the foretaste of the future that's headed your way. Uh, this is the same author of 1 John, the Apostle John, writes this in, in Revelation chapter 1. Just listen. This is a vision he's seeing. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Do, do you hear that? The language of... The essence of reality, the light of all lights, the God of all gods, he is the one that's coming to dwell. He, he will be the revealer of all things. Every false truth will be peeled away. Only reality will exist when God comes. We will see him as he is and we will become as he is. And then John closes with this, and, and I, want this, I want this to feel like an invitation to everyone but I particularly want this to feel like an invitation to anyone who's not following Christ. Like maybe, maybe you've just been flirting with the idea of Jesus as a life coach, but maybe you're hearing um, 
Maybe you're hearing reality in a new way. And here's what, here's what uh, John writes in the closing verses of Revelation. He says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty, Come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Cheer up, friends. You're worse than you ever even imagined. And you're more loved than you ever even dreamed. Let's pray together. Father, it's really hard for us to see ourselves in the light of your truth, Lord. To see the ways in which we think too highly of ourselves or too lowly of ourselves for us to dismiss what you've done to get to us. Lord, forgive us if we've treated your son as a life coach. I know know I've done that. And um, Lord, help us to relinquish control of our lives. Help us to stop white-knuckling through performance, through doing things to to appease you. Lord, we want to we fall into trust into what Christ has done for us. Help us to believe that his performance was enough, that he lived the life we could not live, he died the death that we should have died, and then he rose bodily over death, sin, and Satan uh, so as to guarantee that you'd never change your mind about us. Help us to believe that. We ask these things in Christ's name. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 